every day at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio, we have the podcast Roundup hosted by Jacob Shemansky and Nisreen Abdel-Majid. And it's, uh, well, on Tuesdays, it's the neutral zone. But the uh, podcast Roundup is a fun show because you can check out little snippets and pieces of the AMI original podcast that are out there. And since there are so many... Jacob and Nisreen do their absolute best and do an awesome job putting some of these bits and bites together. It's really fun. 11 a.m. Eastern Time, minus Tuesdays. It's the Neutral Zone on Tuesdays. Check out the podcast roundup. And on Tuesdays, check out the Neutral Zone. I'm Ramia Amuthan, hosting with Brock Richardson uh, for the remainder of the week. And now let's bring on Fern Lullum from the UK. What's on your mind? I'm Fan Lullum from the UK, and whether serious, silly, or somewhere in between, I've got you covered. Let's face it, the most effective therapy is a chat with your bestie. Our bestie's always bringing us something to take into consideration. A lot of the times, these are stories of other people with disabilities that we can learn something from. So today, Fern, we're discussing Katie Shaw. She's a UK teenager with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, or EDS, because we might not be able to say that again. And we want to talk about what we can learn from her story today. Yes. So as soon as I saw Katie's story, I really wanted to share it. So, so much of it resonated with me. Um, And I I just think that lots of our listeners will be able to benefit from hearing a story like this. Yeah, absolutely. So we want to get into it and a good place to start maybe uh, understanding what EDS is. Yes, that would be a good place to start, Ramya. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, well, it's basically it's a genetic disorder that affects the connective tissue and the connective tissue is found throughout the body and it holds organs, ligaments and other structures together. So quite an important thing. And so can you elaborate a little bit on how exactly the connective tissue is impacted? Yeah, it makes it loose and fragile. So in Katie's case, it can cause things like bladder infections, joint pains, bruising, and a lot of horrible other problems like that. Okay. So when was it clear that uh, Katie had EDS since birth? Well, it wasn't clear at birth until um, she she did have some symptoms um, uh, that, that I've just mentioned throughout her whole life, but it wasn't mm. absolutely clear that she was had EDS until she was diagnosed when she was 16 years old. Oh, wow. Was it 16 years? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. And you're kind of in that part of your life where, you know, things like that can be a pretty big change at 16, you know, mm-hmm. um, of age for sure. Uh, Was there something specific, Fern, that led to the diagnosis? Well, Katie says that when she was about 14, she started to feel dizzy when she had to stand up for more than a short while. So she had to sit down a lot. And Katie was later um, to learn that this was due to the condition called POTS, which is another very quite serious condition. um, And that commonly occurs in people who have EDS. Oh, I see. Okay, so it's a it's a subcondition. And how bad did mm. that get her symptoms? Well, very bad indeed. Katie started to faint uh, at least three times a day. Just imagine that. Oh my and gosh. she would have chest pains whenever she was standing up. So if she was standing up for any length of time, she'd get these chest pains and she'd more than likely faint. This has to have had an impact on her life, I would assume. 
Absolutely. So Katie had enjoyed being a swimmer when she was younger, but she, with her worsening health, she obviously just had to quit swimming. She just could not do it anymore. And the lack of exercise led to lots of muscle problems, um, a loss of muscle, in fact, which in turn caused problems with her joints. So it's kind of like a domino effect. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it sounds like a bit of a downward spiral from the diagnosis onwards. Did it mean that she was too ill to go to school? Ah, well, now we come to another interesting part of the story, because despite being in lots of pain, as you can imagine, Katie continued going to school. And she said that she needed to do that because she needed a routine, um, you know, to have something to focus on. I think a lot of us can relate to that. Sometimes you Mm -hmm. just need something to get you through. Was Katie getting help with all of this um, added to her? Well, not really. Um, And she points to two main reasons for that. So firstly, she is autistic. um, And that means that it's difficult for her to interact with people when she's under stress. So obviously, that caused her to find it difficult to get help. Right, of course, we know people, um, or when you have neurodiversity, it's already a challenge to communicate with people on what you need or what you're feeling or any of that stuff. And what was the second main reason she mentioned? Well, this was what Katie describes as the dismissive attitude of doctors. Um, She was under some doctors at the time and they weren't very helpful. Jeez. And And what does she mean by that exactly? Well, instead of diagnosing EDS, her doctors said that her fainting and her other problems were due to anxiety and stress. So they said that it was uh, up to her to manage that. Um, If she wanted to get any better, you know, it was all on her, basically. There was nothing they could do. We can't make up the timing of these conversations and how one thing uh, it can really relate to something else we've talked about on the show yesterday. We were talking about medical gaslighting and mm-hmm. how, you know, sometimes doctors just kind of, oh, wave it off. It is what yeah. it is. Don't worry about it. Maybe you're overreacting and how people yeah. with disabilities are amongst the 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 largest portion of people who feel this way that they're being gaslit medically. So it must have made, obviously, an already horrible situation even worse for Katie. Absolutely. I mean, you're you're going to believe these people because they're authority figures. Um, and, and in Katie's situation, she says that she was doing all she could to cope. But now that she had all of this and she was made to feel that her problems were all her fault, mm-hmm. um, that just made coping even more difficult, as any of us can imagine. And then just when she thought things couldn't get any worse, along came COVID. Right. I'm very afraid to ask the next question of how did she cope with the lockdowns? Well, by then, Katie couldn't stand for more than a few seconds and spent most of her time in bed. She says that when she did go out, she ended up in hospital because she fainted and hit her head. I mean, just imagine not being able to go out because you're scared that you're going to hit your head and end up in hospital. Exactly, where they're not even taking you seriously to begin with. So, yeah, very... Very challenging times for Katie. Um, What happened next? Well, she was referred to a rheumatologist and her EDS was finally diagnosed after just one appointment. So (laughs) it didn't take long once she saw the right person. And from that, I'm interested to know how did Katie feel about the diagnosis? 
Well, from what I can gather, the impact of being diagnosed with a lifelong illness was actually outweighed by the relief of knowing that it wasn't all in her head, as she'd been told previously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, we know that being diagnosed correctly doesn't always mean that the condition itself is improving. No, of course, that's right. And it's true of Katie's case because soon after the diagnosis, she lost much of the movement in her arms and legs. And this was caused because the extreme stress that her brain and body had been under meant that her brain could no longer send signals to her limbs. Now, I think that just shows what she must have gone through, the fact that this had such an impact on her that her brain was no longer functioning and sending those signals out. Mm. Yeah, and she's clearly an amazing person and having the use of her limbs, you know, so badly impacted must have been so life-changing. Oh, of course, absolutely. And she was discharged from hospital as a full-time wheelchair user, so really big thing for her. You know, I can understand um, that her condition was getting progressively worse, progressively worse, but in the back of my head, I'm thinking, but now at least you know what mm. it is you know it's eds um but you know the the responses are so gradual when with something like this we know fern when when people lose vision gradually every step is another thing you have to get used to so mm-hmm. how does she respond to being sent home with the wheelchair permanently Well, I get a real sense of someone who just wanted to find ways of getting on with life rather than feeling sorry for herself, you know, so she just saw it as something, at least this is going to help me. What is it that convinces you of that? Well, she talks about challenging the idea that her wheelchair is a sign of being constrained. She says that she sees it more as a supporting force in her life for her independence and enabling her to be mobile, like I say, to just get on with life. Um, And it helps Mm -hmm. her to do things that she otherwise simply couldn't do. You know, that is, I guess that's the acceptance piece. You have to see that and realize that otherwise you're not going to be able to do these things anymore. And I guess from a physical standpoint alone, she was, you know, bedridden, not being able to move, not being understood by doctors, not being given any answers for anything. So from that to say, okay, now you can be mobile, as you explained, uh, is just a almost a huge sense of relief. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And she sounds extremely positive about it all. I mean, it's an incredible story. She sees herself as being in the medical profession one day and using her own experience to help patients at risk of being misdiagnosed and unsupported just like she was. So she wants to be a a doctor or something? Like, that's amazing. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Because this, you know, her experience has made her think, I want to change this for other people. Right. And just to be able to sort of see that and understand, you know, I now know this diagnosis. I am going to pick myself off the, the mat and want to give back to other people as a doctor. That's inspiring. And I, and I hate using that word in most contexts, but mm. it's easy for us to, to fold and say, well, we're, we're not going to do this because of this diagnosis. So it's, it's mm. refreshing to see that this kind of continues. For an earlier, you mentioned that um, you can relate to this story. Can you Mm. sort of elaborate a little bit on that for us? Yeah, of course. So firstly, like Katie, doctors have given me misleading information in the past. For example, I've been told that nothing could be done to improve my eye condition and that I should just get used to the idea of losing all of my sight. And just like Katie, that caused me 
the you know avoidable stress a lot of avo avoidable stress and um, because it was wrong you know then as you'll know i've had lots of um long time listeners to the show will know that i've had lots of surgeries yeah. on my eyes to improve my sight um and we should always challenge medical advice if our body and our instincts are telling us it's wrong i think that's so important and and bottom line you know if you're not comfortable get a second opinion right like if you're really struggling with something and you feel that you're genuinely being medically gaslit for example um then a second opinion doesn't hurt anybody are there other things that you can relate to from the story yeah katie's experience of becoming a wheelchair user is very much like my experience of becoming a guide dog owner because just like katie my mobility aid has enabled me to be more independent not taking it away mm -hmm. It's just this whole story is a great story, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I really think it shows the power of being resilient, even when it seems as though there's no light at the end of the tunnel and you're just, you know, in the dark and hopeless. I can certainly relate to that. And it just shows the power of focusing on what you can do rather than what you can't do. For example, she's accepted that she can't carry on with her swimming, but now she is devoting her energy and experience to becoming a doctor, which is incredible. Right. Right, which means, thank goodness, she ended up going to school. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, exactly. Yeah. And and I just want to say, if times are tough for you at the moment, anyone listening to this, I hope that this story of Katie gets better and hope that it gives you that hope that things can get better. And I think that it also shows that receiving the service that you, you need can sometimes shine a light on the opportunities to make change when you know either when you get the good service or when things aren't so good because it can show you the flaws and i think katie will honestly make an amazing doctor from everything she's learned yeah yeah i totally agree with you i think that the resilience is just through and through for this story um and it is very very motivational and aspirational thank you so much for sharing it fern no worries i hope you have a wonderful show <laughs> thank you Fern Lullum is our friend from the UK who joins us every other Thursday with stories like this and other disability highlights. After the break, we're talking toasting traditions because Thanksgiving is just in a couple of days and maybe you're with your loved ones in person and you can clink a glass or two. We'll be right back. <laughs> 